really believe that this year holds the potential of building the best generation ever if the adults play our cards right. Welcome to Kidding Around. I'm your host, Dr. Candace. I'm a pediatrician, wife, and mom, joined by pediatric experts to discuss your kid health concerns. Let's jump right in. everybody. Welcome to Kidding Around. I'm Dr. Candice and thank you so much for listening. Our um, talk today is about resilience. We've talked before on my podcast about ACEs or childhood trauma and toxic stress and how it affects health now and for a lifetime. But also that ACEs is not the end of the story. You can heal. And one of those ways is through resilience. Um, so today we want to help parents give the gift of resilience to your children so they can thrive through the good and bad times like this pandemic, the recent civil unrest, political chaos, being away from your friends and family and school, all that's going on in your homes. We want to have my guest to really help you uh, cope through that with your family. And my guest is Dr. Ginsberg. He is a pediatrician spe specializing in adolescent medicine at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, a professor of pediatrics at the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine, and co-founder and director of programs at Center for Parent and Teen Communication. His work centers around building on the strength of teenagers by fostering their internal resilience. I also love that he works with teens struggling with homelessness at Covenant House. He's a best-selling author, speaker, and what we call an adolescent and medicine guru that we all look to. So it, it's a prize that we have him on with me today to kid around and um, talk about all the things that I love with teens and children. Thank you so much, Dr. Ginsburg, for coming to kid around with me. It is absolutely my pleasure, Dr. Candice. Thanks for having me. And I love that you're a parakeet. Is that correct? Uh, cockatiel. Cockatoo, see, <laughs> is flying around. So we have that extra beautiful sound effect. <laughs> so let's get started by just basically, you know, like I said, we talked about resilience on the podcast before. It's come up briefly, right, as a way to heal um, from trauma, childhood trauma. But give us your definition of resilience because you take it to a whole nother level. Yeah, you know, at its simplest, resilience is about being able to rebound from challenges. But I think it's really important that your audience knows that building resilience is not just a response to trauma. It's what we want to do with every one of our kids, regardless of whether they've endured hardship or not. Because if you have the skills to be able to bounce back, you also have the skills to be able to thrive in the best of times. And as much as we wish we could bubble wrap our kids and say that they will never have hardship, we know that that's not what being human is about. So when we use the opportunities to build resilience, they will be able to withstand future pressures better. They will be able to rebound from past insults better, but they will also be able to draw the best out of life. 
Yeah. So you kind of answered it, but why is it so, so important that we help our kids to build this? And, and I think you just said it because it's going to equip them for life. Anything you want to add to that? <clears throat> um, yeah, because it's not something that happens naturally. It, there is to some extent um, a natural resilience that people have, you know, Dr. Ann Maston calls it ordinary magic, right? But even the ordinary magic is something that is supported by the individuals that surround the child. They are looking at us to see how we are bouncing, how we are thriving, how we are remaining calm and whole despite the storms that swirl around us. They're looking at that and they're getting their resilience wheels under our watch. So the reason is that it's not like having blue eyes, brown eyes, straight hair, curly hair, you have it or you don't. It is really something that can be built. And, and the other thing that I would just like to say is that like every emotion, every experience is an opportunity to build resilience. And, you know, when you referred to 2020 and 2021, oh my gosh, <laughs> this year has been designed practically for us to choose to give up and feel powerless or <clears throat> for us to figure out how to move forward and perhaps in the best of the world, <clears throat> come out stronger and better. And I, who, I wouldn't call myself an optimist. I would call myself eternally equipped with hope, right? I just made that up just now. I love that. <laughs> but, 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 but I really believe that this year holds the potential of building the best generation ever if the adults play our cards right. Ooh, that's what we want to do. So let's help some parents play their cards right. Yeah. So what type of parent or parenting style is best suited for raising resilient kids? Yeah. So, you know, when you say parenting style, that brings up a very specific language around uh, what we know from about 65 years of research, what we know works best. And um, and then I'd like to come back to the question as if you weren't asking it in an academic way. But okay. let's first do the academic way. So, you know, you have the kind of parent who is very rule oriented, um, but without a lot of caring. And that's you'll do as I say. You'll do as I say definitely does not raise resilient kids. It raises kids who are angels until they rebel. Right. Then there's the kind that's very, very warm but without any rules, which is, darling, I love you. Call me Ken. Like, I want us to be buddies. I trust you. And that um, builds kids who are loving to their parents, but don't share important things with their parents because they don't want to disappoint their friends. And they engage in a lot of risk behaviors. They also tend to be very anxious because they don't want to disappoint their parents. Then there's the parenting style that's not very warm and not very rule oriented. It's like, Kids will be kids. I figured it out. They'll figure it out. Um, I'll, I'll get I'll get a hose if they um, uh, set the barn on fire. That creates the kind of kids who set the barn on fire because they want their parents' attention. So we absolutely, 65 years of research, know that it's the balanced parent. The parent that is loving, warm, 
responsive, meaning flexible to let the kid grow, and has clear rules and boundaries so that the kid knows what, uh, what, it, what is safe for them to experiment in. And, and that parent explains their rules. It's not do what I say because I said so, it's do what I say because I love you. You see, you see, Candace, Dr. Candace, what we want is for people, young people to experiment. They're super learners. We want them to be able to grow within safe boundaries, but they want those boundaries. We don't want them to feel controlled. We want them to feel loved. They have those boundaries because I love. I have this rule for you because I care. I have this expectation for you because I know what you're capable of. Love that. Love that. I think that was better than academic. <laughs> Did you want to add anything about what type of, because uh, you said you were going to do it the academic way and then you were going to give us, you know, talk to the parents, but I, that was beautiful. Gave me goosebumps. <laughs> Show them who you love them. Um, and also show them who you are. You know, there are so many different ways that I could talk about making the most of these difficult times. And I'd love to, if you want to, but let me give you one. You know, if you have a five-year-old, they want to draw safety from you. That's what they want. And they build their resilience by knowing that they're safe. That's all they want. So you wanna be like the duck gliding on the water who just looks so comfortable and that allows you to co-regulate with your child. Co-regulation, another way of looking at that is it's really lending your calm. But Dr. Candice, it's also lending your anxiety. It can go either way, right? right. So, so think about uh, the best definition of uh, co-regulation is um, think about you're on a plane, there's turbulence and you're really scared. What do you do to get calm? Do you look at the guy next to you who's holding on to the seat and whose knuckles are white? No. You look, you look at the flight attendant, right? And if the flight attendant is still serving snack mix, you're cool. Right. That's co-regulation. But now, Candace, let's talk about being an older than five-year-old. Let's talk about being a nine-year-old, an eight-year-old, and certainly an adolescent. When times are turbulent, to really kill this metaphor, when the water is too rocky or wavy, you don't want to just see a duck gliding on the water because you can't learn from that duck. What you want to see is that the duck is staying afloat because his little feet are underneath the water paddling like crazy. So the kind of parent that builds resilience during turbulent times is the kind who, yes, holds it together, but shares how they're doing it. That's it. That is it. So it's okay to be vulnerable with your kids in that way. It's critical. Yes. It's critical. Otherwise, we don't look real. And how are they going to learn from us? No, I'm not saying you should share your every thought and feeling and vulnerability. There are important boundaries, right? But certainly how you're reaching out for help, who you're turning to for support, how you regain your calm, how you figure out what is truth and what is not truth, how you let go of the feeling of perfection like you can't handle it all and you learn to celebrate what you can handle. There are so many things we can do without sharing our most intimate thoughts and feelings that really our kids don't necessarily want to know. I love that. 
So let's talk about, I love your, the, the crucial, the seven C's um, and how, and how to build resilience in kids, those seven C's. So take us through those. Sure. Um, so the, the first C is confidence. We want for our kids to have confidence, right? And you don't, they don't become confident by us showering praise on them. That's what we thought for years um, was that we should just shower praise on kids. And that created the self-esteem generation, who's probably the most anxious generation ever. Why? Because if you tell a kid that they're special as a butterfly every time they burp, they crave attention and when they feel um, as if they're not doing well, they get incredibly anxious. Mm -hmm. Real confidence comes from the other C's. The first one being competence. We want to recognize the skills that kids have, recognize what they need to continue to build and what they need to learn altogether. And then we need to build their competencies. The next one, is human connection. There is nothing more important. It's that unconditional love we have for our kids that say that you're all right just the way you are. I'm not going anywhere you can rely on my presence. It's that connection that allows them to navigate those really challenging times around mid-adolescence where your peers are judging you for every little thing. When you know that someone loves you and is gonna stand by you and is crazy about you, that's really important. The next one is character. Um, having an understanding of who someone really is, right? Because we're supposed to hold our kids to high expectations. Everybody knows that. But what people do is they look at the wrong expectations. They're looking at grades and trophies and scores and prizes when what we should be looking at is all that is good and right in our children and celebrating that and underscoring it and expecting kids to be that, then when they stray, we hold them to the standards of who they really are, not some random standards that look like you don't know your kid. Mm. Right? Um, after that, we're going to get to um, uh, uh, coping. We... Uh, you know, you either believe uh, that you control your universe or you don't. And one of the most important things is when your universe gets difficult, where do you turn? Do you turn to positive strategies that are going to like affirm your values and keep you together with your family and keep you healthy and whole? Or do you turn to the easy, quick fixes? Mm -hmm. Dr. Jones, everything we fear about kids, everything in adolescence, they're all coping strategies, right? They're ways of feeling better for the moment, whether it's drugs, whether it's sex out of the context of a relationship, cutting, all of these things are ways that kids feel better. What we wanna do at, very, at the very early ages is to begin instilling them so many different kinds of coping strategies that they will naturally go in that direction. Next is control, which I already began talking about, right? You either believe that the world happens to you or that you control your universe. And that really is largely about how you um, um, discipline. Again, if you discipline a kid, you'll do what I say, why? Because I said so. The kids feel small. 
But if kids understand that you're going to get more freedoms, you're going to get more independence, all you have to do is earn them. Show me you're ready for them. Show me you can handle them. And I'll have my safety measures in place to make sure you're okay. Then kids gain an increasing sense of control. And remember what the word discipline even means. It doesn't mean to control. It doesn't mean to punish. It means to teach, to teach. And the last C is what puts together all the other ones, which is contribution. We want our kids to know that they matter. When human beings know that they matter, that they make a difference to the world around them, then they have a sense of purpose. And when you have a sense of meaning and purpose in your life, you can get through almost anything. And then the final point I wanna make about this is we wanna almost immunize our kids against difficulties in the future. And we know that the thing that is most protective to them is to be able to reach out to another human being. What's gonna let them do that? It's about not having shame or stigma when you reach. And when you've given to someone else, when you know that you matter to someone else, you learn this vital, if you don't mind me saying, almost spiritual lesson, yes. which, is, which is how much you matter to human beings and how good it feels to serve. And when you learn that, when we all will have our time to receive, we can do so without worrying that the person across pities us. Rather, it's just an, an act of human connection. Mm, so many lessons. I feel like you said spiritual and I was already there. I feel like <laughs> I was at church and I'm very vocal at church. So I was trying to hold back from saying amen and hallelujah and putting my hands in the air. That was church. Thank you so much for your passion. I, I am so serious. When you did our conference a year ago, I felt it then. I feel it now. Um, that's why I look to you because there's so much deepness there that goes beyond just what we do as pediatricians. And I appreciate you for that. I, I know parents are going to feel this. Um, thank, thank you so much. I'm sorry for that. Ah, so you said discipline. And I mentioned this to you when I emailed you, but I'm saying it again because I have a request. <laughs> um, I'm writing a discipline book, positive discipline book with the AAP. Uh -huh. it's, it's almost done. Um, and uh, and I, I'm going to request that you, you are part of that, if you're willing, that peer review process. Um, if you, I mean, if you just want to just read it, you don't have to do anything for me. I just want you to bless it. I just want you to even send me an email, say it's good or, or think about this or think about that. If you have time, I, I would really appreciate that because, um, I want the best to give me their advice on that and make sure I've done the best I can for parents, just like you just did with, with those answers. Well, absolutely. Well, your book will be really, um, dovetail nicely with my book on building resilience. So a lot of what I think and feel is already there, but I'd be happy to support you in your journey. Thank you so much. And then one thing you mentioned coping, I think that's a, all of the C's are huge, but that's a huge C, especially now, like you said, can you give us some um, particular examples of positive coping strategies? And, and I know you have a tool as well, which is stress management. Um, for our parents with their with their with their children, right now. Oh, right now. So right now, I would say that there's a couple of things that are specific to right now. 
Um, one of them is to um, let go of this feeling of perfection, that we should all be perfectionistic, that we should do it all. Because uh, parents have been stretched so thin for so long. And the metaphor that I um, use is, we've gotten good at juggling two or three balls. We don't even think that we're juggling two or three balls. And when you have a bad day and someone throws in a third or fourth ball, you've really been able to handle it. What does 2020 look like? Uh, in 2021 thus far, it looks like people are just throwing extra balls and suddenly you have five or six or seven or eight balls in the air. What happens to someone who's been really good at juggling four and now they're asked to seven? And what happens is you begin dropping some of those balls and then you can begin entering this feeling of self-hatred um, and of being deeply disappointed in yourself. We well, you know what our kids are watching and our this is an amazing opportunity for us to really exhibit self-compassion and to know that really good people can max out but there's something else it's also an opportunity to look up in the air at the balls that haven't dropped because if you look up in the air at the balls that haven't dropped then it, you begin to learn something about yourself you learn how to prioritize and you learn what matters to you. And what I think you're going to see is that maintaining your family, your core friendships, and a roof over your head is what matters to you. Mm -hmm. And this is an opportunity for our kids to know which values actually matter. What do you do next, Dr. Candace? You look down on the ground and you look at which balls are on the ground, this is an opportunity to reset. Because what happened in the age of parenting perfectionism is that we falsely believed everything mattered and that it all had equal value. And if we didn't do it all, we were letting people down. This is an opportunity to allow us to focus, to breathe, and to see what we should leave on the ground moving forward. And this is a vital lesson, I believe, to help our kids move forward. Can I keep going? Yes. <laughs> um, so another is this catastrophic thinking, right? So this is an age of uncertainty, right? And uncertainty is actually the scariest thing to human beings, right? We're designed to be able to run from the tiger, but the scariest thing to us is when is the tiger in the grass and we don't know if it's really there or not. That's what this is now. And when you don't see a tiger in the grass because it makes you so uncomfortable, people can begin imagining the worst. And that's called catastrophic thinking, where you take every situation and imagine it destroying you, right? Or destroying our culture or seeing our culture indeed as broken. Mm. And then you begin living in that reality. And when you live in that reality, you can't think clearly and you can't feel fully because you're always running from the tiger instead of just remaining wise and vigilant for when the tiger might be there. So what that means is that we have a real opportunity to teach our kids how to stop getting into catastrophic thinking by just saying, what's really happening? 
Stop looking at the mountain, look at the hill in front of you. Step up on that hill and conquer that hill. The mountain won't seem so far away, right? Give people the opportunity to conquer the real tigers in their lives rather than the imaginary ones all around. Major resilience skill. Yeah. Now, you pointed out the tool. So in the book, Building Resilience in Children and Teens, we probably have about 100 pages that prepare parents on how to help young people with um, um, uh, uh, coping specifically. But at the Center for Parent and Teen Communication, which I assume you'll link your audience to, at, at that center, we have tons of stuff for parents about how to be effective communicators and build resilience and raise young people with a strong character. But um, we, for teens, we have a stress management plan. And humbly, it rocks, right? Awesome. Because, because it's really, really interactive. Um, I mean, it's not a video game. It's not fun like that. But, but the kids can put in their own plan. We facilitate them to put in their own plan. They get back a PDF of their own personal designed plan that is really rooted in what we know human beings need to cope. And on the site, there's all these parent tools for how to support the plan, how to build resilience, but the kids can actually design their own. They can go back every week and adjust it. And just because I know people ask this, um, we are not keeping any data. There's no information we're keeping on your child. This is really just for them to get back their own plan. Amazing. So good. So time is the essence. So let's go to the next question because I can do this all day. Tell us about your reaching teens approach. That's a, a, a new, not a new strategy, but a new book you have, right? I wrote really a book. I call it a toolkit. Okay. Um, is um, huge. It is a huge toolkit for youth serving professionals um, on how to reach kids. Um, and it is a book, but it's films and group learning and exercises. And it, um, it gives, uh, um, it has 450 films, 95 chapters. It's huge. Wow. It also allows communities to um, come at it from many different angles because it has different portals of entry for what's going to be 11, but is already seven settings, educational, healthcare, foster care, juvenile justice, um, uh, substance use, after school programming, just lots of different settings. And really what it is, you know, it's, it's a love-based intervention um, mm. with, you know, um, it's, it's a strength-based intervention. It takes, it takes the best of what we know from trauma-sensitive practices, from positive youth development, from building resilience, which is what we've talked about so far, um, from equity and anti-racist practices. Um, and it puts it all together in a, in a how to work with kids, how to communicate with kids. And since I use the word love, um, I'd, I'd like to actually strangely define it for you. Yes, please. And, and what it means in this context. To me, love is a really active listening process. It's about seeing someone as they deserve to be seen, as they really are, um, not based on a behavior they might be displaying in a moment or a label they might have received in their journey. And when we work with young people who have been through systems, who have had hard lives, gosh, they have so many labels and gosh, they've learned to have behaviors to draw out our attention. But when we sit differently and just choose to love in this way, 
the best in kids comes out. And once <clears throat> their best comes out, we can work with anybody and, and, and move them to the next step in their journey based on their strengths. Right, right. Absolutely. Oh, another sermon. Amen. <laughs> I love it. So my last question before we go over tons of resources is community-based resilience strategies. You have a chapter about that in your book. And I am a part of the Creating Resilient Community here in Central Florida. You've worked with us. You are working with us to help us do that. And so I just wanted parents to get the connection of building resilience in your home, but what you do at home will affect your community and even the world. And so how we can tie that stuff in and, and let it, it let it spread out to schools and to your children's sports teams and all of these things. And then also parents as professionals, you can take this information back to your settings, especially if you work with families and children. So just give us some strategies there. Yeah. So the first thing you know is that in terms of um, some of my materials, um, reaching teens is for the professionals. Another one of our portals is actually sports and coaching, right? Um, uh, and the Building Resilience book um, and the uh, parentandteen.com is um, really for um, parents. So why a community-based approach? Because unless we have a consistent philosophy and approach to young people, then we are going to find some very confused children. So even if we are deeply loving and caring in our homes, as I hope we are, but then our kids go into different settings where they're seen very differently, where they might even be undermined based on their behaviors, or where there are forces around equity and race that send different undermining messages to the kids, then our kids are going to have very confusing lives. Mm -hmm. And when we get all of the youth serving world to see our kids differently and to expect the best of them, then kids will rise to those expectations. And, you know, so far we've talked about youth serving professionals, but, you know, let, let's go an extra step. So for those of your parents who, who are listening now who might have a 10, 11 year old, here's what their experience is gonna be. They're gonna be standing in the grocery store line and their daughter's gonna have their head on their shoulder and a mother who's four, uh, a 14 or 15 year old and back or who has a 25 year old and had a hard adolescence is gonna look at that mother and say, um, uh, get those hugs while you can. She's gonna become a monster you may not recognize and may not even like. Wow. That is the message. And then you watch TV and you listen to the news. And the only time you ever hear the word teenager practically is when something wrong has happened. Right. In the news, you never I challenge you to ever hear a adult robbed a store. Huh. Right. The only time you hear the word teenager is when it's been substituted for their name because you can't use their names. And those two things combined, how we roll our eyes when we see teenagers, we expect the worst when we see teenagers and our news and our media just continues to promote that adolescence is this time of storm and stress and problems, then what happens is our teenagers navigate the world and expect to misbehave. 
-hmm. expect to have bad things happen to them. And remember that adolescence is about answering a very fundamental question. Who am I? Mm -hmm. Am I normal? How do I fit in? And what that means is they're looking for clues everywhere. And you know, when we were talking about standing in line and the mother of the 15 year old, well, that 11 year old who's had on your shoulder, she was listening. Right, right. And she heard to be normal, I have to be a pain in the butt. Mm-hmm. To be normal, I have to be broody. I have to be a monster. This is poison. So when you ask me, what is a community-wide approach? I'm going to say it needs to be a societal-wide approach. We have to begin seeing adolescents the way they deserve to be seen as the bridge towards a positive future, as the idealists who are living among us, as the people who have learned not to avert their eyes to human tragedy, as the people who have learned not to give up because they can't imagine things could change and who instead demand change. When we see adolescents in that positive light, they will fill the role that we need them to do, which is to improve our world. And that is an amen. That's what we want. You said it for me. (laughs) And drop the mic. I got you. (laughs) I love it. I love it, love it, love it. So I heard, we're talking about resilience, of course. We did that. I heard hope. I heard love. I heard expectations. I didn't expect to hear all these words today. So I am so happy and full and I took notes. (laughs) This is good. So I want to end with you. You've done it already, but if there's anything that, um, you want to mention or plug, again, giving us the titles of your books, your resources, you made it plain what each one is for and who they're catered to, your website, uh, any tools you want to share, and any other additional resources that you think parents could use around resilience, please share with us and how people can follow you on social media and reach out and all that stuff. Yeah, um, so thanks for this opportunity. I really, really enjoy talking you. to you. And, and what the people listening may not know is how easy it is to talk to you because you're so responsive. And I feel like when I'm talking to you, you really care about this subject matter. And I hope that your audience like really gets that and knows how lucky they are in that way. Um, before I give you any resources that may, may be perceived as self-serving, Let me actually take this opportunity to say that the greatest resource every parent has is the kid in their home. Like seriously, I've got tools for you galore, but ask your kid, how can I be the best parent for you? What do you need from me, right? And if you do that, then you don't need anything that I've written, but it so happens to be I have stuff too. So so again, if you're, Looking at it from a professional point of view, then have your organization look into reaching teens, right? If you're looking for the book that is really um, a, uh, you know, a two-year-old to 22-year-old thing on building resilience, that's building resilience in children and teens. If you're looking for a kid who is a little bit anxious and they might be a little bit hard on themselves, and you realize that you need to strike a better balancing act in parenting to support them, then look at Raising Kids to Thrive, which is another book I've written also with the Academy of Pediatrics. And then if you want a absolutely um, free, I think wonderful resource, it's 
parentandteen.com. It is comprehensive. We are adding things all the time about strength-based parenting, about how much parents do matter. And also it is a multicultural site. And, 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 and Dr. Candice, I wanna talk about why this matters. Most parenting resources are written from one perspective. And sometimes they actually undermine people's values, right? Um, and we work, now I'm not saying we've gotten it right. Life is a journey, we are on a journey, right. but we work really hard to have varied voices and to give people tools without undermining what you know and believe works um, in your, in, in, within your family. Um, so that's parentandteen.com. And within that, there are two things that I think have particular value, just since we're speaking pediatrician to pediatrician. One was the stress plan mm -hmm. um, for young people, which we talked about, which you can access um, from there if you just search for stress. And the other is, if you find yourself having a young person who is deserving of more focused attention, they deserve professional help. Under supporting emotional health, there's one article there, which is my personal favorite, um, which is really about getting your kid to professional support. It is that strength-based language that will engage your team in, in, you know, just very simply, like, rather than talking about what they need or having them perceive themselves in a state of brokenness, understand that they're in a journey towards being a magnificent, sensitive human being, and they deserve support in this journey. Um, and so that article feels really important to me for some people. Okay, that's great. I wish you guys could see this. Um, Dr. Ginsburg's bird is just like all over his shoulders and it's just such entertainment. And also reminds me of how you probably do very well with toddlers. <laughs> I have a four-year-old and she's just busy, just like your bird all over me. And, and she comes in on my Zoom calls and people love it, but I can't focus like that. But you have totally delivered a whole sermon with your bird on your head, on your shoulders, on everything, and never once brushed it off. So I'm super, even more impressed with you. <laughs> so I, am, I am an adolescent doctor who taught nursery school for three years. Okay, there and, you go. I love, 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 love the little ones. And, and yes, you have to continue with what you're doing while attending to their needs. That's right. That's right. Well, I thank you so much. And I just one day, I'm adding to my bucket list to meet you and give you a hug. But today I'm giving you a virtual hug. <laughs> what a pleasure it was. Yes, right. I have to look for you at a conference or something. Look forward awesome. to it. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you guys for listening and we'll talk soon. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please stop what you're doing and subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. And follow me on social media at Dr. Candice MD. For more information about me and for more kid health information, go to my website, drcandicemd.com. Thanks for listening.